It's February 25th, 2023, and this is episode number 23 of the Mike Newman Show, where once again, Dr. Tim Jurgensen and I meet up for a yummy little breakfast at our favorite North Austin eatery, and uh, a little episode of Breakfast with Dr. Tim, where we loop back a little bit on some of the things that we discussed in the last episode, filled in, fill in a few of the gaps, and uh, just have a general rabbit hole discussion, and we survived it, we got out the other side, so uh, sit back, relax, enjoy a plate of migas, a cup of coffee, whatever you got going on, and uh, talk to you at the end of the show. Once again, we meet again. Okay, if you say so, I'll I'll believe that, that that we're going somewhere with this. Well, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I, I know you're like, what are you doing over there behind that laptop and clicking and yeah, it's. Oh uh, no, I've 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 been there. And I, yeah, I, I've I've tried to, uh, having done that with big systems, I've then turned around and tried to teach other people about how you how you do it and. I'm, I'm always, I think, embarrassed about uh, uh, the the things that I put together once I once I try to explain them to somebody else. And in the back of my head, I'm I'm saying, I, I really shouldn't have done it that way. It uh, it it should be this way over here. So. Oh yeah, and I'm I fully understand. I'm looking at uh, anyway. I, maybe I'll just talk to the wind sometime mm-hmm. about my little Rube Goldberg system I have stitched together but it's all about like as you know i mean this is me just having nerdy fun with you talking like we normally do on a saturday morning at the diner yeah and then because i can't leave anything alone uh i turn it into a hobby and just start recording this and putting it out on the interwebs using some stuff that's really kind of raw technology so it's literally edited in a text file send it up push another system and uh we have christmas stocking caps on again so the other hand you you probably understand all of the pieces uh a lot better than uh than than you could if uh if it was all hidden uh, behind automation and that's why i'm doing it oh well thank you Well, that, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And we got <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> I've just been gifted a happy birthday card from Waterloo and Dr. Tim to Mr. Mike. Oh, that's sweet. That is so cool. I did not expect that at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's Gosh, funny. And they asked me what my favorite color was, and I came up with green, and so they found a green marker. And uh, it's it's good they didn't ask me because I my automatic <laughs> response is plaid. Plaid, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so for yes, okay, quick birthday segue. So it is my birthday. I made it another lap around the earth. Yay! And uh, so for fun, I went with my wife and some neighbors to a hockey game last night, and it's the Texas Stars, the local AHL team, uh, up in Cedar Park, Texas. And it's pink in the re- rink weekend. So the stars wear these uniforms with, with pink colors. All the signage is in pink. This, you know, it's just it's pink everywhere. And it's, it's breast cancer awareness and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, to your plaid point, they added plaid 
pink plaid. I don't know why. Whether it's <laughs> like, I don't know what Scottish and plaids and tartans has to do with anything, but it was kind of cool. I mean, other than the fact that it was pink, it was a neat little kind of camo-looking, subtle pink plaid. So, just like you and I, we can go down to Bunny Trail on... Thanks, you did plaid, so I had to go mention the uniforms. Right. Uh, That's that's the way it works. That's That's how we roll. So, if you're listening live, uh, if you're one of the two or three people uh, that might have happened to see this thing pop up on... uh, podcastindex.social uh, I am watching the where is it uh, the IRC chat so if anybody wants to say hi just pop over to the IRC chat that's in the feed uh, and I think it was also posted into podcastindex.social but Tim and I are just here God, chatting you, on a Saturday morning I, it boggles my mind how big a nerd do you have to be to understand what you just said uh, there's uh yeah, and 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 it, it's it's scary that there there may be two or three people out there that actually understand that. Oh, so uh, I am I am but a Padawan yes. uh, amongst uh, Jedi knights. I can in this, I can imagine yes in yeah. this whole thing, and uh, it's you know that that it comes with being Force Gump, and yeah. this is this is I'm just learning along the ride, and it's, uh, it's I'm been still fun. Back, I'm still back at the level. Of, I'm assuming somewhere in here we have to sacrifice a chicken or something. Yeah. <laughs> Well, some guys, some guys actually sacrifice goats. They 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 have a little sound effect of slaying goats. It's, oh, good. It, yeah, okay. no, just imagine nerds with technology and sound effects, and you're you're pretty much there. Okay, to get us on, on <laughs> Tim's some like, kind get of, me back to something. Yeah, that I, to get on solid, solid ground uh, <laughs> in some fashion, or at least what I perceive to be solid ground. <laughs> so we were doing the satellite system uh, last week, and and uh, I thought that uh, I, I think that uh, perhaps uh, all we can do is 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 use today to uh, to do a little filler and mm-hmm. uh, expansion on a, a few points that we glossed over uh, over the last few. Uh, episodes where we talked about uh, the development of the satellite system and and uh, uh, fill in a couple of points uh, or a few points that uh, that perhaps will make the uh, the story hold together a little bit better and uh, the, the the first place that uh, uh, I th- thought I would uh, talk about just a little bit uh, we'd mentioned that the satellite system development occurred in a 1982 through about 1986 time frame and that was a period where the oil industry at least in the united states was uh cratering for want of a of a better word Mm -hmm. and that was all the impetus for for the, the the cratering if you will uh started in uh the late 19 uh, 70s, uh, with the, uh, I think what's generally characterized as the second uh, great oil embargo uh, from the uh, countries in the Middle East, mm-hmm. OPEC, OPEC in particular, nations. Uh, the OPEC nations. Uh, in the, 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 the first great embargo occurred in 072, 73, 74, uh, when the uh, the uh, the OPEC nations realized that uh, they were selling oil uh, to the rest of the world for a dollar a barrel, mm-hmm. and 
the world economy was geared towards the basic cost of energy being a dollar a barrel. Right. And so in the, the 72, 73 time frame, mm-hmm. OPEC said, hmm, we need more money. And so they, they arbitrarily increased the price of oil at the, at the wellhead, if you will, up mm-hmm. to $3 a barrel rather than a dollar a barrel. So tripled the price of, of basic oil. And the shockwaves of that throughout the economy were, were non-trivial in the right. early 70s. Uh, the world, obviously, as we re- recognize today, even with inflation, uh, being what it is, um, uh, the world can operate with, and could operate in those days with oil at three dollars a barrel. Right. It just took a while for for the the supply chains, if you will, through the economy to balance out. You right. Know, th- this is more expensive, therefore that's going to be more expensive. Um, and and but we figured it out a new way to do this, mm-hmm. so we have efficiency of uh, of uh, development. Uh, right. And, and we, we're, we're more productive. Da 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 da. Yeah, any system so, when you shock it, like you know, right. So it, step it, function, it's going to recover, but right. it, it's bumpy. So they, they 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 that that worked out well though. And OPEC in the end got a lot more money, mm-hmm. and uh, so in uh, uh, 1978 thereabouts, uh, with the uh, uh, after the great Iranian revolution, uh, where Iranian uh, Iranian. Iran became uh, essentially a theocracy. Right. Uh, the uh, they, 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 uh, OPEC nations decided to do it again. Yeah. And so they rather arbitrarily increased the, and I, I, I'm, I'm kind of drawing these numbers out of the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. I, think I think they're about right, but uh, don't, don't, uh, uh, don't hold me to it uh, sure. too strictly. But I think they, uh, they, they basically uh, upped the, the wellhead price of, of oil from, uh, from $3 a barrel to, I think, maybe $10 a barrel, something like that. So another tripling of the price. And uh, the economy was able to accommodate that in, in the 1978-1979 time frame. Uh, could accommodate that much more quickly than uh, than they did the the, the oil increase uh, price increase in the early 70s, but the federal government wasn't able to in a 1978-1979 time frame, and I I mentioned that or the the, the little story here is mm-hmm. is is aimed at uh, noting the difference between Austin, Texas, and Houston, Texas in 1978-1979. Okay. I lived in Houston at that time mm-hmm. and subsequently obviously moved to Austin. And, right. uh, and, and after moving to Austin, I had lots of conversations with native Austinites. So the experience in Houston was that when the that oil embargo occurred, uh, it... it, it, it Put pinches in the in the supply chain, uh, if you will. Mm-hmm. And in Houston, we didn't get enough gasoline to function. Uh, so you got all those refineries there, right? But, but yeah. it, the gas went somewhere else, right? So mm-hmm. the the gas the distribution of gasoline at that time was controlled or, or was controlled by the federal government. Mm-hmm. The federal government hmm. came in and said, "Oh, w- we 
we're subject to to um, uh, uh, interruptions in the flow of oil from the from the Middle East, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to make sure that everybody gets their fair share of the oil. And so the federal government mandated uh, what uh, oil was turned into gasoline and where that gasoline went. Unfortunately, what they did was this was this was 1978. Right. They used the census data from 1970. Oh, wow. As the determining factor of how much gasoline needs to go where. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out Austin was relatively static relative to, from 1970 to 1978. Mm-hmm. Houston was a boom town. Right. It, it, yeah. the, the population was increasing tremendously. The net result was Houston, we didn't have enough gasoline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to be, it, it was essentially rationed. Mm-hmm. The... The uh, there were there were lines uh, anytime a, a gas a service station would open that had gas, mm-hmm. uh, there would immediately be very long lines of cars uh, exactly. to get the gasoline. Now the the, the favored uh, uh, rationing technique at that time was to uh, look at the final digit of your automobile license plate number, hmm. and if it was odd, you mm-hmm. could you could put gasoline into your car on these days right monday wednesday and friday like watering schedules these days yeah and if you're the last number uh uh, of your license plate was even then you were off a day Mm -hmm. right so essentially the idea was about half of the cars were only allowed to go into a service station on certain on 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 Mm -hmm. any given day that didn't guarantee that service stations would have any gas. Exactly. But but the the idea was to try to drive down uh, the instantaneous demand. Mm-hmm. So I lived at that time uh, in a, a small bedroom community that's uh, in, in, encased within Houston, if you will, called mm-hmm. West University. Mm-hmm. And West University was a, a bedroom community of maybe twenty five or thirty thousand people at that time, and about. A block, oh, two blocks away from my house uh, was a, a service station. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I fell into a pattern that lasted for many months, uh, probably a year or, or so, in which we had, my wife had a car, I had a car. We mm-hmm. both had separate jobs. Uh, as it happened, uh, one of our license plates was odd, the other was even. Okay. <clears throat> so that said that 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 uh, her car could be filled up on Tuesday and mine on sure. Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, I learned that that this service station uh, that was a couple of blocks from my house uh, was routinely getting deliveries of gas at 5 a.m. in the morning. Okay. They would open at six o'clock. They generally would have pumped all of the gas that they had by, by six thirty. Wow! And so, if you could get your car there between six and six thirty, yeah, you were probably going to get gas. Well, I observed, being a physicist as I am, I I, I spent a few mornings observing that uh, from the service station there was a a, a street. Uh, that uh, where the cars would line up, they would line up along the street. Right. 
my observation was that uh, about uh, a block and a half down the street from the service station was a light pole, uh, a street light pole. Okay. I observed that if you could get your car somewhere between the service station and that light pole, uh, when they opened at so you're six checking o'clock, the throughput capacity of that, this operation, right? <laughs> you, 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 if you if you could get your car in there that area, yep, uh, you were going to get gas. Okay, and so it became my routine on Tuesday mornings and Wednesday morning. I would get up at, at uh, three thirty or so in the morning, mm-hmm. drive one of our cars over, mm-hmm. and uh, found that I generally could fall about midway in that back uh, to the light pole. Back yeah. to the light pole. Uh, so I was relatively confident I was going to get gas. I'd put I'd put put the car by, by park it by the curb, mm-hmm. which is the way the line was supposed to work. It was a relatively orderly process. This, this is where the line's going <laughs> to yeah. be. Parked it, locked it, walked back to the house, have coffee because I was only about two blocks away. Walked back to have have coffee, uh, sit around uh, 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 at the house, and uh, at maybe 10 minutes till 6, yep. uh, walk back over and uh, get in my car yep. along with everybody else and, you know, wait patiently. Everybody else to... is doing this routine, too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and I, uh, I, interestingly enough, after after uh, uh, not too many weeks, uh, cars just didn't line up beyond the light pole. Yeah, you know, they just, it, yeah, yeah. You, why bother? You, yeah, yeah, why bother? You weren't, you weren't going to get any gas. So, <laughs> so that, that was the routine every uh, every. Uh, Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, I'd fill up my wife's car on one day and mine on the other, and right. uh, we pretty well could uh, could could run a, a week mm-hmm. uh, on, on the tank of gas, and 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 we would never we were running on the, the top three quarters of the tank. If you sure, we, yeah. we we never were were, were totally stressed about yeah. running out of gas. Yeah. So that was uh, uh, the, this is all to, said. It, it was the it was the the uh, uh, beginning of the so that was dislocation, yeah, and 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 so it's 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 fascinating that that we had these shortages, mm-hmm. but at the same time there were so many federal restrictions on where oil could go, where gasoline could go. Right. You would think that that would have created. Sure. A yeah. boom time, uh, you would think that would have created a, a boom time for development of oil and gas. Uh, but as it turned out, it was a boom for production of oil and gas uh, out of other areas. But within the United States, uh, there were still enough restrictions that, uh, that we were much, uh, much longer in, in uh, reacting to that. So uh, three or four years later, we were still... Uh, we, we were still uh, uh, diminishing or decreasing our our, our national capacity uh, to to drill for oil and, and, and gas, and so that's 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 the environment that we ran into. I, I probably should mention one uh, uh, one other anecdote related to this. Uh, we had our my, my wife and I. Uh, my wife had our uh, first. Child, a daughter, mm-hmm. born in in early uh, uh, 1979, and so this was pretty much at the uh, still in the in the throes of of, uh, of the um, uh, gasoline shortage in the Houston area. 
but about three months after uh, after she was born, we my, my wife's grandparents were celebrating, a, I think, their 50th wedding anniversary back in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And so we decided to, to fly back and, and uh, take, take our daughter and uh, visit the relatives back in, in Virginia. And so, uh, again, the physicist that I am, I, I, I tried to plan out the trip uh, so that I could function much as I'd been functioning in Houston. I could, I could keep the car filled up with gas. Right, and, and, figure and out the, the local conditions. Right, and so I, I worked it out that, uh, when, I, I should also point out that at, at that time, in those, in that, during that period, if you flew into an airport and you rented a car, mm. you were not guaranteed to get a full ga- full tank of gasoline in your car. Right. Uh, so it was uh, you, you took you took what you got. This sounds like my trip to France in October last year. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I digress. So you, you, well, you, you just you, you just weren't weren't guaranteed. So I I uh, I tried to plan ahead a little bit. I was going to rent with uh, rent from either Avis or Hertz. I'm mm-hmm. sure we used at the time the, the corporate the company yep. did. Uh, I called uh, airports around uh, the uh, Richmond, mm-hmm. uh, Washington D.C. area. As a matter of fact. And I found that at uh, 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 the, the the remote uh, 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 airport in the D.C. area, Dulles. Uh, Dulles. Yep. Yep. Dulles, uh, the rental car company, would guarantee me a full tank of gas if I rented there. Okay. okay. So that was that, that that was a little bit unusual, but they would do it. So I figured that okay, we could fly into Dulles. I could rent a car. We could drive to Richmond. We could stay in Richmond for uh, two or three days, mm-hmm. and uh, following following a, a few days in Richmond, we were then going to go visit some friends in Baltimore, okay. and then fly back uh, to uh, to Houston. Uh, Houston, back at it, yeah. And so I had it worked out. Okay, with a, a seventeen gallon or whatever it was, uh, gasoline. Car and thing, yeah. I, I, I could, we could go drive to uh, drive to Richmond, mm-hmm. uh, piddle around there for a while, and, and if during that period in Richmond I could find some place to fill up the uh, the tank, mm-hmm. then that would get me back to Baltimore easily. And if I stretched it or played very close to the chin, I might actually be able to get all the way back to Dulles Airport. So, so, so this is a one tank trip. One tank Tim's trip. one tank trip. Yep. Yeah. Well, actually, two tanks. Two okay. tanks, right? We, we pretty well emptied a tank, it's going true. to Richmond, and then filled it up one more. But it was a one fill up, uh, one fill up trip. So we, we did this. We flew mm-hmm. into flew into Dulles, got the car, headed down, and as we got into the outskirts of Richmond. I was looking at uh, this on the long the streets uh, for for signs of a service station that was open. Right. And the, 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 at, at that time in Houston, the way you determined something was open was that it had a line of cars mm-hmm. uh, waiting to get yeah. in. Well, I didn't see any lines of cars at all. Huh. There, obviously, none of the service stations in Richmond were open. Oh no. And we passed a, a relatively large. Uh, service station, probably one of these uh, 10 or 12 pumps mm-hmm. out front, you know, convenience mm-hmm. store. And I turned to my wife and said, that that looked like that station was actually open. Hmm. So 
hit the oh, brakes, yeah. did a Huey, <laughs> went back, pulled in, and indeed, it was open, and there were no lines. Everything was perfectly fine. Everything you was perfectly fine. You were in the desert in Houston. Yep. And Virginia, Richmond, those areas. They were they were awash in gasoline. And I so, have an observation, but I'll just leave it. Uh, you get too close to D.C., everything gets taken care of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, as it turned out, Baltimore was was not the case. So, so but maybe Baltimore's, Baltimore's it's, different. It's different. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's not really in the D.C. area, right? I, I guess. So, so we, we had all the gas we, we could we could handle in uh, right. in, uh, in, awesome. Baltimore, in Richmond. Yeah, I, I was I was really tempted to, to, to go buy a, a, a couple of five-gallon gas tanks, to, cans to fill up. Just in case. Them. Just in case. <laughs> I don't trust this. But yeah. anyway, so the last, last thing, uh, uh, last act out of, uh, when we left out of, uh, of Richmond was to, to make sure the tank was topped off. Yep. And uh, I, I did what you're not supposed to do in that environment, literally the, 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 the several days that we were in Richmond. Uh, I, I, the, the gas tank would get down an, 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 an one eighth of a of, of a tank, mm-hmm. you know, from the top, and I'd pull in and fill it back up. You yeah. know, I kept that uh, the top of the uh, the gas oh, yeah, tank were, uh, topped off. You were just sipping. I really, really was. <laughs> but uh, so, I subsequently found that so that that Austin was was very much like Richard in, in, okay. in that respect. When because I, when I they're, to they they were pretty. Pretty consistent with their 1970 census data, right? And amazingly, they the got, distribution model was working, worked according to plan. Yeah, yep. they, they 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 had plenty of gas here, and, hmm. and indeed, I had been visiting with folks here in, in Austin when we moved here. I I asked them about what were the gas lines like sure. uh, uh, a couple of three years ago, and and I got this very quizzical look on the on their faces. Of what what yeah. gas lines? You yeah, know? exactly. And it. it you know, we're only only what 150, 200 miles distant between yeah, Houston yeah. And, and and Austin, mm-hmm. but it was like literally two very two different, different worlds. Places. Yeah, yeah. It, it really was. Huh. So anyway, uh, that that that, so that, that played dislo- into the initial deployment. Yeah, it was yeah. a it was a it was a it was a great dislocation in the economy and in the, in the production of oil and gas and the refining of it and moving products around. And that was still sorting itself out during the period of 1984, 85, 86. So the drilling rig count was going down. And and that that put a wrinkle into precisely how we introduced the the satellite Satellite communication system Mm -hmm. uh, rather than than it being a, a new premium service, if you will, it became a uh, uh, that that a premium service that could be charged what, what we could charge a premium for right. uh, uh, for using it. It became a a very good new service, but uh, not willing to demand uh, uh, significant amounts of uh, sure. additional money because there was a lot of excess capacity in the oil service industry mm-hmm. uh, businesses uh, at, at the time. So it was a very, very, very competitive marketplace. Mm-hmm. And the uh, communications capability was uh, certainly a nice add-on. I'm sure it, uh, it got a lot of got right. us on a lot of rigs. That and we and it made things easier for Schlumberger, I'm sure, right. because you were – I imagine Schlumberger was looking forward to this to optimize their operations, if 
even if you couldn't charge because uh, there's there's benefits to taking cost out of your operations compared with and usually in some combination with um, being able to get a value back in the pricing to the customer right. you just didn't have that market for a pricing benefit but you were able to recoup it and benefit from it as a cost uh, cost cutter for you right so that 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 kind of fills in one of one of the little mm-hmm. gaps about why the why the, the, the oil business was uh, or uh, tries to fill a little gap sure. why the oil yeah. business was a little weird mm-hmm. the other point uh, uh, kind of filler that uh, uh, or area that I wanted to fill in uh, because it was a it was a very significant lesson for me personally mm-hmm. uh, as in, in throughout my work career up to that point. I had always been on the development side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was was part of engineering teams that did development of new systems, and so we we would build those systems and we would deliver them to the operations people within the company, and they would go off and use them and make money and pay for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was on the development side, not the receiving side of a new system, for example. Right. The, as it turns out, the development of the satellite communication system was done very largely through subcontractors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it required uh, very special expertise uh, that was just not the typical expertise required for developing equipment within the company. Mm-hmm. And so it, it made great sense. It was absolutely necessary, actually, to go to outside subcontractors who had that expertise mm-hmm. and to contract with them for development of, of a lot of equipment. And at the, the peak of that, uh, we probably had, I think I, I once counted up, we, 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 there were perhaps 120 uh, engineers uh, working with the subcontractors working on this particular project, so it was a it was a large a large effort, and the we had a a, a, a team within Slumberjay here in Austin, and I think I'd mentioned earlier perhaps ten or, or twelve engineers at uh, uh, at 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 the peak of it, mm-hmm. and our whole purpose was to function as the customer for the subcontractors mm-hmm. in other words they they would come to us for guidance if they if they had to make design decisions right uh, they would come to us and and explain what was happening and and uh, the decision that needed to be made perhaps what options were available mm-hmm. uh, if there were questions about uh, operational procedures uh, if we hang this here in the truck, is that okay? Right. Uh, can we store equipment there, uh, and and the like? <clears throat> so the the bottom line was that that the lesson that I learned that I had, would not have appreciated um, uh, perhaps before was that that f- it requires effort to be a good customer yep. when you're having development done for you, and uh, I don't think that that was general. It, it was recognized, but it was it was uh, an internal thing within the company because we did a lot of internal development, mm-hmm. and so the there were there were there were there were 
people that were ex on the customer side of that uh, yes, equation. Yes, so you had providers, you had producers and consumers within the company. Within the company. And now you're doing it formally externally. Externally, and so so you really were calling out the 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 resource allocation to be the customer, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and it was a big effort, and and it was it was something that the the money managers really didn't like. Exactly. You know, yeah. we, we 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 got a lot of uh, uh, we'd go to go to San Diego or La Jolla mm -hmm. uh, uh, at least once or twice a week a month. Excuse month, me. yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And we would have a one or two day design review. Mm -hmm. So they, the subcontractor would would trot out twenty or thirty engineers that would give presentations about things, and uh, in general we adamantly made sure that two of us uh, would always go to attend those design reviews, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it 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 we we got pushback virtually every trip from management saying do you, do you really need to send two people out there you know can't you just do it with one right and and so that, that the, the bottom line there was that when you when you called out the the resource allocation to actually be a good customer mm -hmm. for a large project it was a non-trivial allocation yeah. of resources yeah and 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 so that that was the the lesson i learned out of that is that if you if you that, that number one Sometimes you you have to go to to outside sources to get things developed mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you don't have the expertise in house to do it, and it doesn't make sense for you to add those resources to do it internally. But second, when you do go outside, you'd better you'd better allocate some portion of your development resources to being a good customer. Yeah, uh, and, and otherwise it's all going to fall in your face. And to be a good customer, to define that, um, it it goes all the way from paying your bills on time to that supplier to getting back to them on their questions so that they can keep moving on to the next delivery milestone. And, uh, you know, I, my first experience with that at, at Schlumberger was with um, the FIPS validation of the 64K uh, chip that we were bringing into the market. And... That took a lot of work internally, a little bit of travel, but mostly just a lot of communication time and relaying the internal concerns and questions and answering the questions of the lab. So it was, you know, the lab had a lot of good questions. They evaluate a lot of different kind of products, and ours was a little bit of a unicorn, as you know at the time, in that particular validation environment we should, we should comment that FIPS uh, FIPS oh, is, yeah, a, sir. is a designation for a for a federal standard a, a United States government standard uh, federal information processing standard standard yeah. Yeah. yeah and and so when you when you when you bring in products uh, either uh, a, 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 a circuit a integrated circuit chip mm -hmm. uh, or a, a big piece of equipment or what have you yeah. uh, you take that through a defined process uh, to, to, to make sure that it confirms in, it conforms in all, all the development it conforms to processes that are recognized by the federal government as being adequate for developing certain yep. types of equipment so yep. good point it, at, at any rate uh, yeah so so it, 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 you, you, you gotta, you gotta spend a few bucks to uh, 
to be a good customer. And uh, yeah, that's just the, the, my point. There was bucks come in different forms. They come in paying the invoices to the lab so that they can allocate the resources on their side to evaluate your product and do the reports and and basically help you through that process. Mm-hmm. And um, accounting didn't like there. There's always this game where you know flow of money. We want to be paid the day that we send them an invoice, but we don't want to pay until we absolutely have to. So, um, and then things happen. So, anyway, uh, I remember a conversation in the mailroom with uh, <laughs> the uh, controller at the time. I said, "Dude, we got to pay these bills." Well, <laughs> I'm like, "No." Nah. Yeah, I was just a young buck at the time, and it just. Anyway, it still doesn't make sense to me. But. Well, and, and that, that's a it's a it's a from my perspective as a as a technical person, generally on the development side. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my 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 when when I observe processes of, of a customer on the one hand and, and, mm-hmm. a, and a producer on the other, other mm-hmm. uh, I, I I I guess I I'd, I'd learned. The lesson there that 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 uh, from a from a producer standpoint, if the customer has uh, can be intimately involved, and and that also means at a, at a financial level, mm-hmm. because one of the things we found in in a big project is that it was very difficult to create a contract. At the beginning, all of this with a defined payment uh, plan mm-hmm. that covered all the the uh, the weird situations that arise in developing a large system, mm-hmm. and we found that in the in the course of things that that um, uh, certain activities were more expensive than had been estimated at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, other activities were less expensive than had been estimated. And when you had a very fixed uh, delivery schedule and payment schedule uh, that that couldn't be modified or altered, he got into some he got into some uh, some 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 sure. scrapes uh, from time to time. The the best of all possible worlds in in that environment happens to be if if uh, if very early on you recognize that that some element of the system that was you, you that you, you could tell precisely how much money you had allocated for doing that and it was determined that it could actually be developed for less money you you suddenly ended up with uh, with a, a, a little pot of money that you could reallocate and if if you could make that happen so that you could uh, you could spend a little bit of money uh, uh, redirect it from spending it here to spending it there it made a made a great deal of difference in the uh, the overall development process yep so yeah and the a lot of times on these big projects especially ones that go extend into years for example um the market could change and and not just in a in a fickle sort of way but uh, as we spoke earlier about satellite communication there was also the terrestrial uh data capability data transfer the the networking changed on earth at the same time that it was so things everything was moving forward in parallel and a lot of times if you get too focused in what you're doing and what your 
particular deliverable is or whatever, and you're not aware of the competition or your own advances, and you've got this old statement of work that just sits there from two years ago, that, that's not a comfortable place to be either. We, we, we ran into a, a situation a little bit like that uh, in, in the development of this system. I mentioned our, our, our earlier, uh, there, were, there were two major uh, pieces to the, uh, the, the, the communication system. There mm-hmm. was the uh, well site to the large uh, central earth station up mm-hmm. in the Denver area. And then there was a, a time division multiple access uh, network between Denver and district offices around uh, the United States, Schlumberger district offices. Mm-hmm. And they, the, the plan had been we would put computer systems uh, and, and re- again realized in the 1980s mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the laptop that you have sitting on the table there. Which one? Was, yeah, <laughs> you, you have a whole bunch of them and, yeah. and all of them are more powerful than yeah. All of the computers that we were using when this system put together. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. It's just it's hard to imagine the, the the difference between computing capability in 1984 or 85 versus today. Right. Uh, but it it was there. Mm-hmm. At any rate, uh, the, the, the the we were in the early stages of the uh, uh, the the explosion of of computer capability. So the original plan had said we were going to put computer systems in each of these division offices. Mm-hmm. And so we would have, we needed computing power to do some manipulation, processing, massaging of the data mm-hmm. that came away from the well site. And the plan had been we would transmit those to the district office or division offices and use the computers there to do the massaging of that data. Well, in the course of this, we, we suddenly the, uh, uh, found that uh, the Digital Equipment Corporation, mm-hmm. who, who were, where we were getting our computers at the time, had come out with a, a, a new computer. Okay. And it was far more powerful than the ones we had anticipated using. And... Uh, was the, that the PDP-11? Or no, this was the, beyond that? the VAX... Oh, good old Vax computers. Yes, okay. the Vax was a uh, yeah. a very new, uh, very new machine, mm-hmm. much more powerful than the the PDP machines that we had intended to okay. use. And so the the, the Vax machines, as, as it turned out, uh, were enough more powerful that with rather than having sixteen smaller computers located at division offices around the United States, uh, we could put in three or four. Uh, vax machines in one place and do the same work, hmm. right? So okay. three or four rather than 16, but <laughs> it, it, it didn't make sense for us to put one of these Vax machines in each division office because it was expensive and it was right. far more computing power than we had to do. So uh, being the <laughs> being the physics nerd of the, the, the time and, <laughs> yeah. and almost the mathematics nerd of the, of the group, uh, it fell to me to uh, to uh, bring out my my uh, grad student course in queuing theory uh-huh. and look at the the uh, uh, scheduling uh, the, the scheduling and computing capacity necessary to massage the data right. coming from well sites around the United States 
and uh, turning that or doing the doing the manipulation of the data, the editing of the data, whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, so it could be used and passed along, and and determining precisely how much. Uh, computing capacity we needed and, and where best to locate it. And, right. and so I still remember this particular presentation. Uh, we, we had this well-defined plan of we were going to put these computers in 16 division offices and mm-hmm. it was all going to be great. And Everything looks, yeah, we're just going to do this and then Tim comes in with a vax. Uh, well, yeah, I came into a present. <laughs> I made a presentation to the uh, to the. Um, uh, uh, management uh, team in, in in Houston, so I had to make a trip to Houston and and, mm-hmm. and do a presentation and, and point out to them that it made a lot more sense monetarily and the like if we put three Vax machines at the Earth Station in Denver hmm. and did all of the processing there okay. and completely blow off the time division multiple access network that we've built to connect to these other places and we could still use that we were, we sure. were still delivering other data, data but and we're, results but, and but, so forth right yeah. and, and, but it, we were indeed delivering graphic results yeah. which, which was was a lot of data in its own right yeah but you, you you didn't need the same computing power out in the division offices that uh right. we thought and so i i made the, the the observation that it made a lot more sense for us to put these a uh, few machines uh, at the uh, at the, the Earth Station location in Denver, mm-hmm. uh, rather than that, and, and I, I still remember the uh, the. Was it uh, quiet in the room the, at that point? Oh, it was. It, no, it was, it, it was not quiet. I would have. Oh. I would have. I would have loved quiet. <laughs> uh, as I as I finished my presentation, the the vice president of I think of vice president of marketing, if you will, was, uh-huh. was sitting back and. He looked, kind of looked up. He said, Jurgensen, he said, and forgive my language here, but he said, Jurgensen, that's the shittiest idea I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I thought, well, Thank okay, you, that's not good. <laughs> May I have another? <laughs> May I have another? As it turned out, uh, you know, would give, given another couple of days' reflection, uh, maybe two or three days later, the, the word came down that, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we were going to go ahead and, and put the put the three machines in the, in, in Denver. Denver and and that made sense, right? It, yeah. it, it was still a shitty idea, but well, uh, yeah. it seemed to be the best one that we had. Darn going it. Right now. The yeah. math works. <laughs> so uh, I, I I was always I, I was 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 kind of impressed that 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 course in queuing theory that I was pretty sure I was never going to use. Uh, turned out to be quite useful uh, yeah. in, 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 in the greater scheme of things. So Yeah. I actually it, used algebra once <laughs> in my job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Two equations, two unknowns, and it solved a problem for me. Yeah. Only once. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, uh, okay. You know, so, you know, I've been in different... Now, work it, experience, it, it, it may it may well, well it may be that I go out and look for cases like that, but I, I there there are relatively few lunches that I make it through that I don't use algebra in some fashion. So, uh, uh, yeah. it, uh, is it? It, it I, I have to comment. I, I guess I, I've gone down a, a bunny trail. I'm going to continue. Down no, I just kicked you down it. So keep going. Yeah. yeah so so the, the the bunny trail is is is. When you go all the way in in school, you know, you right. get get a, get a get PhD. You. you know what? When you look back on it, what what were useful 
things that you learned? What were useful mm-hmm. courses that mm-hmm. you, you you learned? You got your union card and, and you get, what, got, your, yeah. got your union card so so you can do what you want to do. But but what was useful in getting you to that point? Well, I've I've, and, yeah. I've made the observation that that I, I I got a degree in 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 nuclear physics, uh, but I really never have done any nuclear physics in in working. On mm-hmm. the other hand. Uh, when I was in high school, I learned how to program a, a first an IBM 650 computer and then an IBM 1620, and that pretty much put me in good shape for my entire uh, uh, postgraduate uh, yeah. uh, career, or college career, and, and postgraduate uh, career. Um, because being a being a, a computer nerd, if you will, at that time was was probably uh, more valuable than being a, a journeyman physicist, as it, as, it, as it were, and so certainly my mm-hmm. my programming course uh, uh, when I was a junior in high school that 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 paid for that was gold. It, it, it was, mm-hmm. that was that was great. It, it was uh, the other interesting course because of that because I, I was a computer nerd. The other interesting course was typing. Yeah, same, Type, typing, same for me. Typing yep. is probably, and I would probably put it at the top of the list. Probably exactly. the single most useful course yep. that I took throughout all of my career was was that course in typing. Exactly. And it turned out I I could I could type up a store. Semi L K J. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I I I, I uh, and I, I I always attribute part of that to the fact that that that. I, I guess I took typing in the when I was a, in the tenth grade, a, a sophomore in high yep. school. Same for me. And uh, the, during the fall semester of, of the, that year, of the course I played high school football, mm-hmm. and I was a I was a I was a big dumb lineman right in the middle of things, and as a consequence, for the entire semester, if you will, or the entire football season, both of my little fingers were dislocated all the time. <laughs> they they they. <laughs> They would get bent, uh, yeah. playing in the middle of the line. They would get bent back and and, and doubled back, and 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 so they were literally dislocated, just and, beat up, and what? And so when you learn typing, yeah, with dislocated little fingers, and you realize you you have to you have to develop, if you will, almost a, a different motor skill in your fingers to be able to hit the keys that you mm-hmm. want to hit on a typewriter with your little finger. I I I'd learned that well, and as a consequence, uh, when when the when the fingers healed, uh, I could I could type quite well. I could I could do uh, oh, anywhere from 105 to 135 words a minute, uh, typing, which would have made me a really good secretary at mm-hmm. the time, as mm-hmm. it, that turned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I could do that well, but I I could touch type, and and even today, I can't. It's hard for me to find particular letters on a keyboard if I look at it. Yeah. If if I'll simply put my fingers down appropriately yeah. and then stare at the wall. Sure. I can hit all of them. You yeah. Know, and and, and in very fast order. So. And we I, go through that transition learning to touch type, and that that's what my mom called it, touch typing. That, that's what that's and, what we call it. Yeah. And and you 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 feel like you need to look down and see what's happening because you're you're uncomfortable you know you're hanging onto those apron strings of your mom in the kitchen you know like uh, i don't know if i'm gonna if this is gonna work and then mr poor who was our uh, typing instructor he's like he'd just be banging stuff and getting us to look up and he goes this is where you should be looking when you're typing not down there yeah. <laughs> 
in, so, our, yeah. in our typing class, uh, there's, there's a small small school in Western Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we, we learned on manual typewriters. Okay. Okay. But yep. we had two IBM Selectric brand new electric typewriters mm-hmm. available, and it was it was it was with very mixed blessings that you came in any given day and you were going to be using the electric typewriters. They, they, sure. they kind of spread the use of those around. But as, as it turned out, as I say, because of learning to, to type on a manual machine with dislocated little fingers, mm-hmm. uh, I had developed very good touch typing uh, skills. And mm-hmm. you put me down on the electric typewriters, and I, I could go wild on those. Cool. So... Yeah, my mom had one of the old manuals, mm-hmm. and those had a different angle because you had all the mechanism of the keys to flip the the character up. And if you went too fast, not that I was typing anything useful when I was playing with mom's typewriter, but you could jam them. You you could get you could get the letters to land on top of each other, and you just got a whole mess. You go in there and pull it out. So it what I'm mom had a pace about it. And she just, like a machine, and she never changed from that. It was just steady. Yep. And that kind of, I went for accuracy as opposed to speed, but it was fun to, you know, see how fast you could go. Oh, yeah. Of course, they yeah. did the, the tests and, and all of that to get your, and, and you got docked pretty hard for having to go back and, and correct. Well, I think so the, the test, as I remember, the test that we're running is, is that you, you would, uh, You'd be given, I don't know, a half a page or, or, mm-hmm. or so of typing, and uh, you were allowed three three errors mm-hmm. in, in, in that, right? So, so uh, with with the uh, with the IBM Selectric, you actually could backspace. Yes, and, and it had white, the automated white white. white, white, white yeah. you could do it. Yep. They, they, uh, it, it just occurred mm-hmm. to me that that uh, because I, I ran into it uh, uh, a while back in something that I was writing. And after having written it, I realized that probably no one that was under the age of, of 65 would, would even understand what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And that was it was I referred to a carriage return line feed. Yeah, the difference. I, that, and, and <laughs> you that, could get one without the other. You could get one without the other. <laughs> and and with, with the typewriter, right, the, the carriage return was literally a handle yep. that you... You hit and and it moved the uh, moved the platen back across to the other side. So and it, it rotated were, the paper up. Well, that's where your line feed right, was. Right, that's where the line feed was. Right. Yep. And and you could do one without the other. You could actually mm-hmm. move 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 it because uh, you had to be able to go back and correct. Yep. Because you had to be able to go back, find that letter that you had mistyped. Get your in the manual typewriter. You'd take a little tab that had usually or. Mom had the little whiteout, whiteout. little yeah. brush, reach in there, and cover it over, and carry on. That was one of the one of the early jokes about uh, when the when the uh, uh, CRT uh, uh, screens started coming up with the uh, uh, computer terminals was uh, people using whiteout on the screens. Why? <laughs> try to check your ears. It didn't work. That didn't work at all well. Yeah. So our our, our touch typing uh, bunny trail. And honestly, the other one probably would have been for me, but it's all been automated so much, like with what I do um, in spreadsheets now, would be basic statistics of means, 
averages, standard deviation, just trying to learn things from vast amounts of, of data. Right. And um, I'm sure you dealt with that quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And, and again, we're talking about, you know, relative things. Sure. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I can, I can point back to lots and lots of courses that were, were interesting. But uh, yeah. I, I, I still... Touch typing, yeah. I still find that, that touch typing was... Uh, 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 such a such a such a, a really neat capability to have right? all yep. the all the way through. So uh, cool. It was great, great time. Well, I think we've uh, hit the end of our welcome. We, we, so we, we, we've managed, <laughs> we managed to to, to uh, carry like, what I what I thought was going to be a, about ten minutes worth of conversation. I was worried about filler at the end of this. Seems it, to be never a problem. Yeah, we, we it, it, it's. <laughs> Uh, as long as, uh, as long as my uh, long-term memory and my brain uh, doesn't fail, then I'm, I'm probably going to be in good shape. So. It's good stuff, Tim. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, and uh, I'll see you again soon. We'll do it. And that brings to a close episode 23 of the Mike Newman Show, where we had another breakfast with Dr. Tim. It's pretty much how we do things around here. And uh, thanks for spending your time with us. We enjoyed our conversation as usual. Usual. And uh, really quite a nice surprise from the staff there at the, at the Waterloo Ice House where we, uh, it's our little breakfast joint. Uh, it's been that way for, for many years. And really appreciate their uh, hospitality to Tim and I as we just sit around and do diner stuff. Um, great crew, uh, great environment. Go check them out if you get a chance. Um, yeah, and as far as the show goes, uh, feel free to drop us a note at... Uh, Mike at MikeNewman.show. That's spelled M-I-K-E-N-E-U-M-A-N-N.show. You can also ch- check out uh, show notes and other interesting le- links related to uh, things we discuss and things about uh, some of the podcasting uh, technology that that I use in, in creating this podcast and um, just what's going on with the next generation of uh, basically... Uh, the, the next generation of podcasting. Uh, we, we typically call that podcasting 2.0. That's a whole other topic. I say that a lot. Um, I probably should just get down to uh, sending you all some links so you can keep up with, with what's going on there, but it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. So uh, once again, till we meet again, John 317.